Let's pray. Gracious God, on this uh, beautiful, warm day, let us be filled with the overwhelming warmth of your love for us. And help us to hear the call and to uh, embody a loving warmth to all of our neighbors as well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. There's a recurring gag in the Monty Python movie, Life of Brian, that pokes fun at religious leaders. Every time uh, (laughs) they are presented with a new crisis, their response is always, well, this calls for quick and immediate debate. But of course, all they ever do is debate, (laughs) and they never take action. They just exchange ideas as though that were all that mattered. Are we Christians sometimes like that? Ask your average self-professed Christian what being a Christian means, and many will say, well, someone who believes in the right ideas, essentially. You know, someone who believes that God exists, that Jesus is our Savior, and the Bible is God's Word, or something like that. I assent to those propositions. I agree. Yet, being a Christian actually has little to do with getting your ideas straight about God. Rather, it's about living your life in a relationship with God and neighbor, plain and simple. The ideas and the teachings matter, true, but only if they are guiding your lived-out relationships. I mean, think about it. Learning about prayer doesn't do much good unless you actually pray, right? Which brings us to the Good Samaritan where Jesus teaches us that the important thing about loving our neighbor isn't defining conceptually who or what a neighbor is. Rather, it's being a neighbor who loves. It's a verb. It's doing. No one in recent memory has defined the goodness of being a neighbor who loves better than Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Recently, a documentary was made of Fred Rogers, and I I watched it and highly recommend it. Have some uh, Kleenex nearby. And and here are just a few excerpts, kind of a a trailer uh, for the movie, and a reminder of being a neighbor as opposed to merely having neighbors conceptually. Uh, The greatest thing that we can know and be is to know that we're loved and... uh, to love those around us. That's kind of a summary of the whole Bible. And as he points out, when you are a true neighbor, you don't draw boundaries around your love. Uh, He showed that. He lived it in his show. The parable of the Good Samaritan is about a lawyer who seeks to discredit Jesus and also draw boundaries around love. Huh? What must I do to be saved, he asks Jesus. He was hoping Jesus would say something inflammatory, but Jesus won't take the bait. He holds up a mirror. 
well, you're a teacher of God's law. This is kind of your field, isn't it? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus more or less says, good, you've answered your own question. But the lawyer didn't leave it there, did he? He still wanted to trap Jesus and maybe save face. Justify himself? Ah, but who is my neighbor? This calls for quick and immediate debate. To understand the commandment to love your neighbor, we need to parse things a bit more, don't we? How do we define neighbor? The world's full of many different kinds of people, good, bad, important, unimportant, us, them, and we must make distinctions, don't you think? What do you say, Jesus? Indeed, for people in Jesus' time, there were all kinds of distinctions to be made with people. For starters, uh, in this culture, women were clearly less important than men. Sinners only got what they deserved, and those with, with sickness were gross and would just contaminate me, so keep them away. And foreigners, by the way, should be excluded, and especially the dreaded Samaritans, who were considered half-breeds by the Jews. And before we get too smug, what about our time? The question, who exactly is our neighbor, has seen a major revival, hasn't it? And here we must admit, we are not entirely unlike the lawyer. We look at the world, and seeking to justify ourselves, we quite reasonably become overwhelmed with the needs of people around us. Are you ever there? I am. We can't help all these people, so maybe we should just make some distinctions about who we love and, and who we don't. But then it's easy to stray into less reasonable territory. person on the corner holding up a sign asking for money, well, I'm sure he's an alcoholic. We don't need to give him anything. Homeless people, well, most of them choose that lifestyle anyway, don't they? And the problem of discrimination against Muslims, well, their religion is pretty violent, so maybe it's okay to discriminate. Asylum seekers? Well, they're mostly criminals. Lock them up, even the children. Lock them up in cages. And then our lives get easier when we can write off people who are not worthy of the title neighbor, not worthy of our love. It's easier, isn't it? But who is my neighbor? Then Jesus tells a story and reminds us that, as, as Patrick said in his children's sermon, reminds us pretty clearly everyone is our neighbor. And to ask the question is a false question. What matters is being a neighbor, having a merciful heart, doing something and not asking whether that person qualifies as a neighbor. And to drive the point home, Jesus tells the story about a desperate man clinging to his life by the side of the road, two men with all kinds of religious pedigree and theological ideas filling their brains uh, come by, and what do they do? Walk on by. I think that used to be a song. Still is a song. But then a Samaritan man passes, 
and he is filled with mercy and compassion and does what needs to be done. He cares for the injured man and tries to save his life. And did you catch it? The hero of the story is someone who Jews who would be listening to this story as it was told or read, who Jews would not consider their neighbor at all, again, because Samaritans were so awful. So Jesus finishes the story and now asks the lawyer a question of his own. Not who is my neighbor, but rather, who was a neighbor to the man in need? Neighbor as verb, not noun. Well, the man who showed him mercy, of course. Notice the lawyer couldn't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. Go and do likewise, said Jesus. So, this parable is far more than a story about helping someone in need. It is that for sure. But Jesus is here saying, if you have to ask who is my neighbor, then you don't get it. You're not speaking out of love at all. The important question is, Will you be a neighbor and live your life out of mercy? The very first thing that has to be said about the Samaritan is that he symbolizes God and the person of Jesus. All of us are beaten up by this broken world and in need of a Savior. And God is the God who has mercy and is a neighbor to us. It's the kind of God that we worship. But second... The Samaritan symbolizes what we are meant to be, each of us. In other words, do likewise with your neighbor. Luke makes abundantly clear in his gospel, the love of God and love of neighbor cannot and will not be separated. Can't do it. Now, that said, the story of the Good Samaritan is not an invitation to try and respond to every instance of human need that you see. You can't. You're finite. You, have, you do have choices to make, which means you must discern how God wants you to use the gift of love that God gives to you. However, it must also be said that the Samaritan in our story today, he no doubt had places to go, just like the priest and the Levite, right? You think he was just out for a stroll? He wasn't wandering that road aimlessly, not that road which was a dangerous road. He could have easily said, I have too many things to do. I can't help this guy. And yet it was kind of all about what really mattered in this situation, being a neighbor. As Paul Athrop noted in his talk to you last week, Mount Carmel has a challenge on our hands. We do. We have wonderful volunteers, but there is a far too pervasive a sense that there are too few of us who are doing too many things. Well, why do they do it? Well, because someone has to. Uh, that's duty and obligation speaking. Somebody has to to keep this place going. Now, obligation has its place in life, without a doubt. And yet, in our story today, do you notice that there is nothing said about the Samaritan responding out of obligation to the brutalized man. Instead, it says, his heart was moved. It was moved to respond out of love and mercy. 
That's something that com comes from a, a higher place, a deeper place. When we think of our work here at Mount Carmel, and when we think that work is about keeping this church going, keeping the lights on, etc., our work here will be ultimately a dreary thing and not worth doing, frankly. If we think that our work here is about loving our neighbor, building up lives, and sharing good news, then our work has renewed passion and our hearts are re-engaged. We have an opportunity here at Mount Carmel to spend more time, and we will in the months to come, getting in touch with our hearts, our passions, our joys, the forces of love within us that God gives to us to be poured out into our own lives and our neighbors' lives. What moves you like the Samaritan? What has value to you? What do you feel passion about? These are the things we want to help you and us identify and act upon. In the weeks ahead, Paul and myself and, and Nick uh, Ralston will be meeting with small groups of you to discuss what gives you joy? What do you feel passionate about? What are you good at? And we need, need to do a kind of reboot so that our volunteering here becomes something different a calling, a calling to engage our gifts and to do that which gives us joy and then to act in love to make the world a better place, to be a neighbor. Lastly, I've heard uh, people, and, and most notably uh, uh, Barb uh, Hollister recently, suggest as we've been talking about hospitality and meal, meal fellowship on Sunday mornings, that hospitality, Barb said, should be a really important part of our meal fellowship on Sunday mornings. I think most of us would agree with that as we make plans for the future. In other words, then, how do we welcome the outsider to our brunches and lunches and our coffee fellowship every week? In fact, do we open our meals to the community at large? It's a question. We are reminded when we look at the Good Samaritan that the church does not exist for the sake of itself or its members, but for the sake of our mission, and that means the whole neighborhood. What would it mean for us, from our worship to our meals to our programs to our foundation to all facets of our church, if we learned how to exist more and more out of love for the sake of of our neighbors. I close by reminding us that our, our friend uh, Dave Thomas Jensen, who's not here, has been uh, uh, stirring uh, behind the scenes um, and has re recently taken steps to plan a, a Wednesday night supper for all, just to try it once, kind of open it up, do a new thing. All of us, for all of us, for all of the community. In the spirit of being a neighbor, who here wants to join him and help try it once? It's a question. Or do we just keep asking, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Amen.